Hello, welcome and kumusta and thank you for joining me today. In this episode, I share with you a podcast which I have recorded when I was outside and all I have with me is my telephone and my earpods and I got a message from one of the occupational therapists in critical care and she has raised some questions and I thought I would do something to record my response. So this podcast I did when I was driving. So I would like to ask for an early excuse for the type of audio, but if you can bear with it and if you can understand or you can get and learn something from uh, what I have said, then that'd be a good thing. Here it is. Hello, welcome and kumustan. Thank you for joining me today. My name is Hao. I am your occupational therapist. I have just been uh, thinking about some of the questions that has come up with regard to critical care. And uh, what they said is one of the common themes is what are the assessment in critical care? So it's really a difficult topic at the moment because when you're talking about the assessment, you are thinking about doing a structured assessment. And this becomes a very, very challenging situation. Uh, in my previous podcast where I've had some, some conversation with the OT apprentice, Grace, She has identified and she has realized that most occupational therapists are relying on structures. And this is very difficult in critical care. My perspective is rather than relying on structures, it is very important for a critical care occupational therapist to develop the skill of assessing performance components. And it's all of the aspects of performance components. So that is very essential. It is very important that you know. Um, now, when it comes to critical care, so we have a question. Let, let us explore this. Are we talking about assessment uh, with regards to ADLs? So definitely people are going to be very dependent on ADLs. So that is a straightforward dependence or skilled assistance. When it comes to ADLs, you can do an assessment of their baseline functions through the interview with the next of kin. And that's easily achievable. You don't have to be in the unit to be able to do that. What you need to be able to do is to just have a phone call with the next of kin. Uh, but the challenge there is that the um, assessment, the result of that assessment will not be significant until the person has actually left the unit. So therefore, the team that you are working with in critical care, the medics, anesthesiologists, intensivists, and the uh, critical care doctors, they would not necessarily see what those, uh, the, the, the benefits of that. Now, one assessment that I want to find out is, first, I would like to find out what are the clinical objectives of the doctors and what's the clinical objective. That's the one thing. Uh, so that's 
me knowing what the objectives so that's my foundation skills and then when i go and have a look at the patient in critical care first thing that i want to do is are they awake so their level of consciousness is something that i want to find out and when it is level of consciousness are they awake are they alert do they have some level of awareness so this is something that i want to find out first and foremost and then if i come in and they are not asleep or they are asleep for example i go and ask the nurses are they in any form of sedation and if the nurses say that they are not in any form of sedation that means uh, and i would ask is there any other reason is there our objectives i would ask the nurses are the objectives then to start to wake the person up or to start getting them engaging and if the nurse says yes there is no if they say that we need to start engaging the patient then that's where i start so that's the first assessment and as soon as i find out the level of awareness and the cognitive not even the cognition really it's the level of consciousness because you can intervene straight away so if they are drowsy then your objective is to straight away start to facilitate that uh, 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 drowsiness and increase the level of drowsiness and the next thing that i would do is then you know i would want to see how they are responding to a different sensory stimuli and the different sensory stimuli is is happening and you're providing it without you probably knowing that you are providing it uh, like for example when you start talking to the patient and that is an auditory stimulation so you want to see whether the patient is responding to a targeted auditory stimulation and then you start touching the patient if you want to wake them up so you start to touch the arm the hand and see whether they're responding so again this is a person's response to sensory facilitation so a touch just a light touch would be a tactile a movement or a squeeze of the hand or of the leg or of the shoulder is a person's response to proprioceptive stimuli and a person's uh, if you start speaking louder and if you start talking in a more uh, uh, jovial manner you know uh, then you are doing some kind of uh, auditory stimulations and then sometimes if, if they are awake then see whether they're responding to that sometimes the visual stimulation if they are awake they've got their eyes open but they're not looking at things i would try and pull out a torch and when i do when i have the torch out what i would do then is to try and move it not directly on the eyes but i would just put these torch around i would just put the torch and move it across the visual field in that age manner and what i am observing is i'm actually observing whether the person is actually doing some kind of a tracking visual tracking if they are awake i would move my hand over near their eyes and this is me assessing their uh, uh, visual threat and that's what i would be doing checking the person's visual threat as well um if there so that's them responding to varying sensory targeted sensory facilitation and sensory stimulation now it's one assessment at a time so it's not a one general assessment 
it's almost a procedural assessment because as soon as you do something, there would be a response and then you can create the action based on what the person is giving you. So it's so again, we looked at the level of consciousness. Next thing, if they are awake or if they're not awake, then you make an assessment or intervention based on that. And then the next thing you do, if they're not responding based on that, then you do some targeted stimulus as well. And then you have to document this. And uh, again, it's facilitatory. Anything, if they're not responding, what you want is for them to start to respond. And how will a person respond to the environment? You know, you provide stimulation. And stimulation through, you know, either music auditory stimulation, things that are familiar. So now we're dealing with intervention straight away. We are not dealing with assessment now. So if you want that, that's one of the stimulations that you can do. If you want to facilitate the person and you want to wake the person up, then the uh, stimulus that you need to do is something that is loud, something that is of high pitched, something that is familiar. So that would be a stimulation auditory facilitation if the person is say in terms of the level of consciousness that they are agitated and you want to calm them down then you would be providing some uh, auditory stimulations that are uh, calming in nature which means it's low-pitched humming classical music low-pitched sound so that is something that is coming as well. So again, it's assess and whatever the result of that, you do a direct intervention. So, um, okay, so based on this, so there's sensory responses to sensory facilitation. The next thing that you want to do is you want the person to make sense. So you want them to develop a purposeful responses. So through multitudes of stimulations, in the sensory uh, facilitation through multitudes of sensory stimulation, then you wanted the person to do some purposeful responses. And that alone can be an objective, yeah, to develop purposeful responses. How are you going to demonstrate the purposeful responses? Through facilitation or through targeted sensory facilitation, yeah? And then if they are responding, but they're not yet purposeful, but they are engaging, but they are not engaging in an appropriate manner, then this is where you would have to do some kind of a cognitive retraining. So you want them now to understand what they are seeing. And uh, so this would be understanding, meaning uh, perceptual. So what they're perceiving and you want them to understand it. So that would be cognitive perceptual retraining. Um, for example, if you want them to see and you want them to perceive what it is or understand what they are perceiving, then it is a sensory perceptual retraining as well. Now, um, now sometimes when you move and you want the person to understand the movement, so just remember when a person moves, you're also stimulating the mind. You are also stimulating the brain, yeah? So when you try to move the person and you stimulate their processes because you're moving them, this is a retraining that is called perceptual motor retraining. So it all comes in in one. There are three 
four actually four areas that work hand in hand for a person to promote or for a person to develop some purposeful responses and this is the sensation sensory perception perceptual uh, cognitive thinking and motor so sensory perceptual cognitive and motor retraining and they all go hand in hand with one another so if it is at the level of the very basic restorative interventions and you're recovering, a person is trying to recover, then these are the four components that you would have to be uh, very, very familiar with. You need to be an expert. You need to know the ins and outs of the language of on this side, uh, the performance components. You need to be able to tell what the uh, how to assess them and how to intervene them and how with using them and how to actually make uh, utilize it and be flexible enough to juggle all of these four. There is just no set prescription. It is always an activity analysis between the person and between uh, what they are demonstrating and what you can provide. So there is no set target. Again, it will have to be reliant on the clinical reasoning and the clinical skills of the therapist. This is the very basic, the very essential thing called activity analysis. Okay, so uh, we have tried uh, responding on the purposeful responses. The next thing is say they, you, you can see that the person understands you, but they're not moving. So how do you start? And you ask them the basic things. Start moving their eyebrows. Start moving, closing, shutting their eyes tight, wrinkling their nose, um, moving, sticking their tongue out. So this is something that you need to do. And you can see based on this, this is already motor retraining. Yeah, it starts with the facial expression. Yeah, before anything else will move, it will be the head that will move first. So start moving the head left and right. That is something that you need to do. If they cannot do that, then that would be the target. And then you go back to sensory perceptual uh, facilitation. Uh, but if they're doing it, uh, the face, then they're moving the face. Good. The next thing is get them to move the proximal uh, limbs, for example, the arms, the shoulder. Do that. Now, if they are in critical care and they have been unconscious for quite some time, it'll be very, very, very difficult for them to move. So what you need to do as occupational therapist is that you need to stimulate this. You need to facilitate by providing motor facilitation or sensory facilitation to get that motor output. And what are the sensory facilitation techniques? So if you're looking at light touch, for example, a light touch is facilitatory. A cold temperature on the skin is facilitatory. A quick stroke on the skin is facilitatory. You know, if you want to hand to open up, do it on the dorsum of the hand. You know, so that's that's the theory based on, and it's been an application for many, many years. And it was, uh, uh, I believe, Rude who has come up with this approach. So that's one. Tactile is good, is one way of doing it. They're very much more, they're very, very obvious on children and on babies. But what I have noticed, and this has been more proven to be much more effective, is the proprioceptive facilitation. 
And how do you do this? Proprioceptive facilitation is movement of the joints, movement of the muscles. Okay, so what are the movements? So again, anything where you stimulate the muscle spindles on the and the Golgi tendon organs and the Facinian corpuscles, yeah, these are all facilitatory, particularly if the input is uh, is 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 heavy or and, and and it's sporadic and you apply this on the stimulation on various joints as well so that is movement so if the hands are not moving don't be afraid to touch or squeeze those arms now it will be perceived as massage yeah if you don't want to be called a massage therapist don't label it as a massage yeah consider it as a proprioceptive facilitation it is what the person is requiring yeah and don't let your pride as therapist be in the way of what the person needs you know you know so that's uh, and I, I think most clinicians and therapists don't want to do it because they don't want to be perceived as massage therapists yeah there are some benefits in massages and massage is actually one of the tools of practice of physical therapy it is one of the tools of the trade, yeah? It's one of the tools of practice, massage and physical agent and modalities as well. So people are forgetting that. Now, as an occupational therapist, I am saying these things because uh, it is, this is where the part where it's restorative, where it is actually being shared with physiotherapists and physical therapists, Okay, so that's it. If you want to facilitate that motor facilitation, so on the distal part, on the arms, on the legs, move those muscles and that's fine. But those muscles are not going to move on their own or it will not be helpful if they are just there. Uh, it can be helpful, yes, if you're just in bed, but that's fine. But if you have to remember the principle of improvement and development, improvement and development has to happen from proximal to distal, yeah? From the central part of the body all the way to the distal part. So this is where the proximal control comes in. And how do you simulate proximal control? This, you only do this by moving away from that reclined position, isn't it? And recline or a recline position, be a person lying down in bed, you have to get them out of there because once they're in bed, they're always relaxed. What is the next thing that you can do? Put them in side-lying position. Have that therapy in side-lying position, meaning rolling on prone, on lying on supine. That would have been ideal if it is only if the, if it's just a stroke or neurological problems. But the thing is, if you are in critical care, where you would be uh, into a lot of, uh, uh, you will be, uh, uh, there would be a lot of attachments, then uh, you can actually go straight to getting the person sitting down on the, uh, on the chair, yeah? So being an, in an upright position is actually very helpful for the person, but don't forget, it's not just the trunk that you are working on. You are also working on the head control of the patient. So that's the first things. Those are the first things that you needed to, to, to master the head control. 
So sit them out. Don't let their head just be going bouncing. So have some interventions. Think of activities that would stimulate the head control. Okay, so that's one, the head control. And then if they're sitting down, then that's fine. And then you get them to lean forward uh, and then get that stimulation so that they develop that trunk control because it's only then once the person has a good trunk control, can they start having some functional tasks as well? Okay, so the improvement, the principle, basic principles of improvement has to come from proximal to distal. Yeah, from head control down to the dexterity, uh, to the distal part of the hand as well. Okay, um, so there we go. So in terms of that, when it comes to assessment, then you will be assessing what are the strengths. And then you would have this grading system. You can grade that. What's the engagement? What's the dexterity? So you have grading on the dexterity as well. Uh, proximal control, there are grading system for that as well. Writing reactions, there's a grading method for those things as well. Sensation and sensory awareness, there's grading for that as well. Uh, okay, um, so the question of assessment, as I was saying, it's a little bit challenging because, again, there is just no structure to assessment and to assessing a patient. But what it is, is what you need to come up with. You need to develop that skill. You need to have that in you. You know, you can't have just part of the skill. You need to be able to have that skill of assessing performance components and treating and intervening and promoting improvements on the performance components as well. Yeah, so there's just no halfway. It, there's no shortcuts to it. I wish you all good luck in exploring a little bit more of this, okay? Uh, having a part information is very, very, very uh, risky, so always be prepared and develop as a whole. Be a holistic occupational therapist, uh, meaning not just the the uh, the activities and the well-being. Because I think in the United Kingdom, that is the main focus is the um, is the uh, um, the 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 well-being and the activities, and that's good. But you also need. Do not forget that we are a restorative therapists as well. And so we need to go down to the basics of how to assess those basics, basic performance components. Now, if they are moving, then the next thing you want to do now is now they're in critical care and you want them to engage a little bit more. This is where you can tap on their values, their interest and their personal causation. This is where you work on their psychology as well through engagement, and that is then you can think of their interest and what are their activities that you can provide. And this is where your creativity as an occupational therapist comes in, and you can start treating them using therapeutic and purposeful activities or using occupation itself. Okay, guys, there it is. I hope you learned a little something in this episode of uh, OT Conversations. Share it among friends and learn together. I hope uh, you could bear with the audio, but I also am hoping that you have picked up a little something from that. Just remember, anything you do matters and has an outcome. Until next time, 
Bye.